good afternoon, not good morning. Uh, it is about 1.15, maybe 1.13, 1.12 in the afternoon on, let's see, what day of the week is this? That's a good question. March something, uh, possibly. See, I should know this. March 25th, I think it is. Tomorrow's. Oh, 24th. It's March. March. Huh. Doesn't want to tell me what day it is. March 24th, yeah. Uh, March 24th. Like I said, it's, uh, 112. 112 in the afternoon. My, uh, because it's uh, winter vacation, I didn't have my normal morning classes, so I'm heading out to the same location just to do my afternoon classes. Uh, just got out of the shower, still feeling a little bit allergic in this allergy season. Um, I'm having a good day so far. It's beautiful weather. The weather has warmed up quite a bit, which is always a blessing. spent the morning cleaning out my wife's car, or, well, really our family car, but it's the one she drives mostly, um, because I'm going to pick up some friends tomorrow uh, who live down in Kanagawa, and we're going to bring them back to our house for uh, maybe eight or nine days to stay with us, uh, husband and wife, and uh, their baby, baby boy, who's about, I don't know, maybe six or seven months old by now. I'm not even sure. Something like that. Uh, they're coming to stay with us during this uh, spring break. Uh, I had the privilege of marrying uh, those two about, I guess it's been about a year and a half ago now. Something like that. Actually, it's closer to two years ago. When I went down there and married them. Uh... Uh, I've known Keith for quite a long time, so I'm looking forward to to getting to spend some time with uh, the three of them for the next week or so. Also going to be smoking my first whole whole hog. It's really a a a, a, a wild boar that someone caught and cleaned and got ready, so I've got a whole hog I'm going to try to smoke maybe this weekend, I haven't decided, probably, probably won't do it this weekend, I'll probably wait a little bit longer, so I can really study up on how to do that best, uh, temperatures and all that stuff, or really do it right, so it's frozen right now in my big freezer, uh, it's about 20, 20 to 22 pounder, something like that, 22 pound pig, uh, so it's a small one, which is why it fits in my freezer. Uh, but if you didn't know, I kind of one of my hobbies is smoking meat. I've really been doing that for it's one of the longest hobbies I've done, probably pretty much my entire um, adult life. Since I got married, I started doing that. 
So yeah, but we are going to be doing some bacon this weekend, and I may get a few other things to do, maybe some ribs. I don't know. We'll see about that. Um, uh, yeah, so looking forward to spring vacation. Actually, today and tomorrow, my last two classes. Well, today I've got three classes. Tomorrow I've got one, so last two days of classes before. Uh, I get a nice long spring break. Looking forward to that. Probably have something like 10 days off completely. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's coming up. Hopefully, we can get some mountain biking in, some hiking maybe. As long as my allergies are kept at bay a little bit. I'll be able to do that. I hope. Uh, and today I've kind of decided to go on a uh, kind of a keto, keto-based diet, low carbs, uh, high, high fat, high protein kind of diet. Um, so cut the sugar, cut the carbs, and then. Uh, add more proteins and uh, yeah I'm gonna try to get down again to a, to a better weight um, I was able to do that about seven years ago I got down to pretty close to 170 pounds I think well 70 kilos I have to figure that out I'm not sure how far I got down to but something like 70 I want to say 72 kilos. Hey Siri, 72 kilos is what in pounds? Apple.com can tell you all about Apple product. Oh my gosh. Hey Siri, 72 kilos is how many pounds? 72 kilograms is 158.73 pounds. Oh, I didn't get that far down, I don't think. I may have, no. Well, that's why I want to get down to about 75, 70, 72. All right, let's see. Hey, Siri, 170 pounds is how many kilos? 170 pounds is 77.11 kilograms. Maybe that's about where I got to. 77 kilograms. 170. I think I really need to be down to 160. It's probably my ideal weight, but being my age and my body type, I'm not sure that that's necessarily a healthy weight for me, but anyway, right now, it's kind of irrelevant uh, because I got a long ways to go. I'm about 93 kilos now, uh, so I could use to lose about 20 kilos. So we'll just see how that goes. I'll try to get started and I'll let you know. Uh, how that's going. I'm going to have to amp up my uh, exercising for show and, uh, and uh, just get get diligent and serious and uh, get some willpower going. I know I want to do it. It's a good time of the year really. Um, this time of year is, if you don't know, Japan wraps up its 
it's a school year and us being involved in education our whole lives kind of go around this schedule so basically from April to March uh, is a school year um, so yeah that's where we are and so with the spring we get to start a new school year that's how things go here so yeah that's kind of where we're at right now in between those two things in between the, the two school years um, so yeah that's where we are man uh, what to talk about what to talk about there's so much um, I wish I could have gotten to all these scriptures. Um, uh, Keith Giles, who is uh, one of the admins uh, on a organic church page that I um, am a member of on Facebook, uh, and he's written some books, which I haven't read. Have I maybe read one of his? I can't remember. Anyway, he had a, a post. He, he actually made a video uh, on online, um, basically, uh, debunking the penal substitution model of atonement, um, which was more or less created by Calvin. Now the problem is once you, once you're taught that model, it's very hard not to see it in the Bible, right? And the thing is, this, the introduction of this uh, atonement model coincided with the um, interpretation, the, the translations uh, of the Bible uh, that were made um, not in, in languages other than Latin, that were made in, 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 in the Vulgate, uh, not the Vulgate, that's a Latin Vulgate, um, that were made in in uh, common languages, right? So, for example, the English Bible, the Tyndale, Tyndale Bible, later the King James, for example. Um, other, um, what is the one in French? I can't remember. The Darby Rames, I think, is it. But anyway, about the same time that Protestantism was getting going, uh, which also coincided with the invention of the printing press, uh, which also coincided with the translating of the Bible from uh, Latin, Greek, uh, and Hebrew into uh, different languages. All of these things were kind of happening at the same time. And so penal substitution language made its way into... Uh, these translations, um, because it was kind of the the big uh, way of looking at things at the time, at least with some Protestants. Um, and so, once you've been taught that, um, it's hard not to see it in Scripture. And part of that um, is because of just the timing of how all these things happened. Now. A skeptic might say, yeah, but 
don't you think that would be God's timing to give us a better revelation about what's going on? And but the thing is, you know, prior to that time, the the the, the prior fifteen hundred years really knew nothing of the penal substitution atonement model, uh, which basically says, uh, in a nutshell, that uh, God is good, uh, man has is sinful. God, because of his holiness, has to punish man because God cannot dwell with sin. So man deserves punishment, but Jesus stands between man and God and takes the wrath of God onto himself, meant for mankind, but he takes it onto himself and is crucified and dies for the sins of mankind. In other words, Jesus is punished by God for our sins. That's the penal substitution model. And once you, again, once this is the, the model that you've been taught, it's hard not to see it everywhere. Um, it's a, it, it is a perspective uh, from which you can view nearly all of Scripture. Um, the problem is, again, that it was pretty much unknown for the first 1,500 years. And we're talking, we're talking about Paul as well. You know, of course, Paul has been translated to contain some of this uh, judicial language uh, into Paul's writings. But that's because the people who were translating the Bible were influenced by the penal substitution atonement model. I, this is this is all my opinion, by the way. <clears throat> um, I'm sure there are scholars that have studied this that can tell you whether or not what I'm saying is true. Um, but penal substitution is just a poor way of looking at at who, first of all, who God is, uh, and. Um, Yeah, I guess that's it. It's a, it's a poor way of understanding who God is. That God has to have blood sacrifice, right? That, that blood must be shed. And, and for one person to be able to die for many, it has to be innocent blood. And that's the only way that God can be appeased is by the blood of an innocent. <laughs> what this fails to recognize is that God is the very person that's being punished. He's the very person that is being that, that is dying on the cross. Jesus is God. Now there are a lot of metaphors that talk about you know Jesus is the Son of God or the the, the only begotten of God or or what have you, um, but those are just metaphors, right? They're, they're ways for us to understand these different um, manifestations of the divine whether it's Father, whether it's Son, uh, all of, uh, even Spirit, because Spirit actually basically means wind or air. All of these are metaphors to try to help us understand the different ways that God manifests Himself into the world, right? Father, Son, Spirit are ways that we can understand it as far as, uh, as well as other, other names that are given to 
the members of the Godhead in the Bible. So, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that God as executioner and judge does not gel with the other ways that we understand God in the Bible. Um, so, so in order to to have an a uh, to have any integrity uh, in the character of God, I think we have to really look at penal substitution atonement uh, and say, yeah, that doesn't really work with who I know Jesus to be. Um, and so that that's my starting place. Uh, for debunking penal substitution. Now there may be a way in which we can still have a penal substitutionary model uh, and it be an effective metaphor to express atonement. Uh, one of many. It shouldn't be the one, but it could be one of many. Uh, and for that to work, I think you would have to replace God as judge and put in Satan as judge and executioner. That Satan is the one who is bent on our uh, demise. The one who is basically uh, is existing to, to bring about our annihilation. And I think it's because he believes us unworthy uh, to to receive eternal life. Something that he himself apparently uh, has been granted by God being um, you know, some sort of a uh, prim primeval being, whether he's an angel viewed as an angel or a demon or what have you. Um, if you if you see him as the judge uh, and the executioner, and that he is behind the death of Jesus on the cross, then what you see is Jesus defeating him in his resurrection. That that Jesus will, being willing to go to the to the cross and to death um, for mankind. In order to pay mankind's sin debt back to the devil, the devil's name is Ha Shatan, and we've translated to Satan, but basically it means the accuser. He's the one that accuses us of sin, of being unworthy of eternal life, not God. And so, if you if you replace God the Father with the Satan or the accuser in the place of judge and jury and then Jesus paying him this debt and yet defeating him in his resurrection uh, then I think that that kind of penal substitutionary model might be of some value in trying to understand uh, just how we how we are affected by the cross. Um, but it should be one of many, and I think we should look at many different atonement models. 
when as we try to understand exactly what happened on the cross and the mechanism by which we receive salvation and what does salvation mean and what does it mean to go to heaven and what does that mean uh, in light of uh, entering the kingdom of God for example uh, and I think we've we have mistaken going to heaven with entering the kingdom of heaven one being uh, for the distant future and one being for whenever we, whenever we are prepared to undertake it and so the kingdom of heaven being for this world now um, I think explains a lot of the apocalyptic Scriptures, for example, for example, I think it's Matthew twenty-four, um, where it says, "Not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven." Right, and that enter into the kingdom of heaven is something that Jesus preached about being near, coming now, amongst you. Right. Um, being at hand and something that he ushered in during his lifetime which I believe came uh, came to earth in power uh, 10 days after his ascension which was on the day of Pentecost I mean when, when he came with power and that's when um, that's when the kingdom came to earth with power was on the day of Pentecost and from that time on the kingdom has been spreading and taking more and more uh, territory until one day uh, I think the kingdom will will wrap itself around the earth like a blanket and I think that's what we're hoping uh, will come soon and I think once that happens then we will see uh, things change on a global scale we will see reconciliation uh, the such um, such as we could never even imagine it happening man with nature man with God nature with God of course man with God and I think it you know the kingdom of heaven of course has to do has a relationship with that final culminating event uh, that we call today going to heaven. Uh, but I think there's still way more questions and answers um, about the nature of how all that's going to happen and the mechanisms by which we attain salvation. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, first and foremost, uh, we should be careful about the pet atonement theories that we have uh, we should hold them a little more lightly and be willing to look at others that were um, embraced by uh, fathers and uh, people of the earlier church sorry I'm kind of Trying to get through just a little bit of uh, traffic here. Uh, 
yeah, so that's what I've been talking to different people about this morning. Um, atonement theory and the one that you hold uh, to me says a lot about who you are, about your personality, about your belief system. Uh, perhaps the way you treat people. I think it says a lot about that. Uh, and that goes along with your interpretation of the Bible, the way that you see the Bible and what you believe the Bible is saying. Um, what you believe the Bible mainly is saying, I guess. Sorry about that, going through some road construction. Uh, so, yeah, your atonement theory, the one that you, you adhere to, says a lot about who you are. It says a lot about who you think God is. Uh, and use that, you know. Look, look deeply. Look deeply at, at how you think uh, things work in this arena. And then use that to, to, to look at yourself. It's a great mirror. Really, this works with almost anything, right? The way you read a book, the way you understand events in the news, uh, the way you, um, you know, watch a movie. Uh, there, are, there are parts and people that you identify with, uh, and they can be uh, used as a window into your own soul to figure out you know, who you are and what you actually think. Um, because I think on some levels, those, the way that we enjoy uh, literature uh, or movies or whatever, um, says a lot about who we are. Uh, perhaps the kind of music you listen to, right? Um, when you watch a movie, do you identify with the underdog? Do you identify with the villain a lot? Do you identify with the hero? Uh, do you have sympathy for the villains? Do you are you suspicious about the heroes? Um, do you secretly wish the hero would uh, would lose? Maybe. Uh, all, all of that kind of thing, all of those kinds of things kind of uh, say a lot about who you are, right? And it's not good or bad. It's, it's not, it doesn't have to be a negative either way, but just as tools, right? And chances are you're not the same person you were 5, 10, or 20 years ago or more, right? That you, you change depending on the station of life you're in. Maybe your your economic or socioeconomic status or whatever. So there's a lot that can be um, what's the word harvested, garnered, garnered. Is that the word? Gleaned uh, from paying attention to to how you I, you enjoy things, uh, how you how you perceive things, right? Who you sympathize with or 
who you're critical of. Um, but I think that is certainly the case in the Bible. In fact, I think that's one of the miraculous attributes of the Bible is its ability to to define you. Right? The Bible has a great ability to bring out your true nature as you read it. Um, and I think it's near miraculous in that um, in its ability to do that. Okay, well let's see, what did we start on? We started on the atonement theories. Um, I really have not been studying atonement theories recently. I need to brush up on some of that. I know that one that I've liked in the past is the Christus Christus Victor or the Victorious Christ about you know him uh, defeating sin and death. Uh, and there's a lot more to that theory. That's another atonement theory. Uh, one atonement theory that I really like that I, I probably um, adhere to the most right now is put forth uh, by, well, probably by other people, but most recently by uh, Greg Boyd, and that is uh, the, the theory that what Christ is doing on the cross, uh, well, this may not be Boyd, actually. I have to rethink this. Um, but basically, the cruciform love of Christ that the Christ on the cross is showing us just what he thinks of us. That he thinks so highly of mankind and all of mankind that he's willing to die a gruesome death on the cross so that we may know in no uncertain terms how valuable we are to him. And that atonement is, is less of a magical snapping of the fingers and, and sprinkling, sprinkling of blood in the right places and, and, and some kind of witchcraft that somehow automatically forgives man's sins. It's not that as much as understanding that this is who God is. God is the person who goes to the cross so that we may know just how wide and deep and broad is his love for us. And the thing is that that knowledge knows no time boundaries as God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so what that means is, is that the Old Testament was far from understanding who God was. Once in a while we get a glimpse of how much he loved mankind, but mostly we got um, anthropomorphized ideas of who God was. That he was angry when we didn't obey. That he was a punisher when we stepped out of line. That he was ever ever looking, ever, ever watchful, waiting for us to uh, to infringe on others' rights, or waiting for us to um, break his law. 
And as soon as we did, he'd come down like a hammer upon us. Because that's the way our, our human leaders were and are sometimes. That's how the writers of the Bible believe God must be. And that could not be farther from the truth. And I think, uh, I think the cross corrects that wrong notion. Even though many people throughout the years have failed to see that view of the cross. Uh, but I think, I'm not even sure what to call this theory. Um, perhaps a God so loved the world theory, maybe. Um, that would work. But basically the cross tells us in no uncertain terms that God is a cruciform God. That he is always and always will be the kind of God who will sacrifice himself for the, for the good of mankind. And all of mankind. Uh, he's never been the punisher. He's never been the cruel judge. Uh, but he has always been a person who is rooting for, who supports, who loves uh, all mankind. No matter what. No matter what. Uh, and that's, that's difficult for us to swallow because that's not who we are as people. That's not who we've been taught to be. Uh, and, and that kind of all-loving, all-forgiving uh, leader is quite foreign to us. Oh, good. we got time. Uh, and that's my... Yeah, that's the current... Uh, Wow, that building's been ripped down. That's my current understanding of who God is um, and what the cross meant, what the cross was trying to say. Doesn't mean that other uh, other uh, atonement models aren't helpful, but we need to look at them as metaphoric. And uh, give them room to say um, a little, but not not the final word, right? Give them room to say just what's helpful, but we need to be willing to reject what's not helpful. Which can be a lot. Sorry, I'm just parking my car here. Uh, all right, so I'm going to have to cut it off there. And uh, thank you guys for listening. And uh, you guys have a great day. Bye-bye.